I'm Damien Kierlin, and you're listening to the Iris Prize podcast. The Iris Prize celebrates amazing LGBTQ plus film, championing the incredible creatives both on and off screen, and continues to be the world's largest LGBTQ plus short film prize. Over the series, I will be catching up and speaking with filmmakers shortlisted for the Iris Prize Best of British, covering hot topics that include authentic casting and representation on screen, the portrayal of queer youth, and the dramatising of our true stories. So, like the cinema, grab some snacks, sit back, relax, and let's get started. Filming on location is hard, but when you chuck into the mix rural landscapes and unpredictable weather, it can be damn near impossible. That and the sensitivities around shooting a queer film, I chat this week how all this is possible and is Wheels as welcoming as it perceives. So, welcome Rachel Wilson, producer of Panad Productions, whose short film Jelly was filmed in a cave in North Wales. Jelly was written and directed by Samantha O'Rourke, a lovely, originally northern writer-director who's now based in North Wales in kind of the Conway area, which is local to where we film Jelly. Yeah, it's the story of a young girl kind of stuck in the day-to-day, same job, same tea, same white men shouting at her on the TV, kind of originally started as a reaction piece to Brexit and kind of the separation that Sam felt existed between kind of what young people were feeling and what politicians were saying kind of in that period of time. So through the short, you see her grow more and more fed up with day-to-day life and eventually kind of with the courage of kind of reuniting with a girl that she used to fancy at school, we see the two of them together kind of go off and, and make a new start for themselves in a cave which was located on the Great Ormond Hundred No and they kind of run away too. We we do find out the name of it. They spitball a few ideas throughout the film and then they kind of call it our little piece of Wales and we see this lovely cosy setup in a cave with lots of jelly and snacks and hope and queer love. So yeah that's jelly. Don't be so blase Rachel. You shot part of a film in a cave. Tell us more. So locations wise, it's a very intense short film. We've got a bus, we've got like moving sequences on a bus. We had things that had to be seen through a bus window for the story. Obviously there's the cave, which actually to logistically make that work, we had two caves that we shot in. We had an interior cave and an exterior cave, but it it is a real cave. A lot of people always think maybe we built something in a studio, but that living room is in a real cave. You've got kind of the vista, you've got the family home, you've got the shop, you've got the street. There's there's a lot going on locations-wise. kind of goes against the advice of debut short film and keeping things simple location-wise. But yeah, in terms of the exterior bits that were the most challenging, we shot those in the spring to try and avoid the bad weather. Wales did not fail to provide rain. It was beautifully sunny on the day we were inside the cave, which was really helpful. But yeah, we had a lot of rain when we were filming on the Great Ormond Note because that vista is normally so much clearer. Thankfully, you can still kind of see the beach and the sand and the and the gist of it. But on a clear day, you can see for miles when you're up there, which was a bit of a shame. We were just very on it with rain protocol. So we had our second AC was super on it with covers for the camera. I'd made sure we had kind of tarpaulins and like pullover plastic sheets that we could use for the sofa in between takes so that 
the sofa kind of wasn't getting wetter and wetter as we went on because then color wise that would have been an issue for once we got into the edit so there was lots of logistics in both keeping crew dry but also in keeping kind of the set and the dressing dry and other things like two takes in our DOP was like no we're just gonna do this with the hood up for the lead actress on her coat because we'd started with the hood down because we didn't want to acknowledge that it was raining and then as the rain persisted we were like no hoods up for the rest of the takes for continuity so yeah lots of just proactive thinking and lots of hot tea at unit base and stuff like that to stop people freezing through. And then of course we have Queen Kimrag which award-winning filmmaker Lindsay Walker shot on Snowdonia. Queen's Kamrag is a short documentary that I directed and edited for ITV Cymru. It's about a group of Welsh drag queens that now live in London, but they returned home to Wales to climb far for charity for Trans Aid Cymru. Oh my god. My cake be drumming in, and my wig be moaning in, back of poppers moaning in. So, yeah, they completely had, like, four or five outfits packed in a bag to climb with uh, in high heels, the whole shebang. They raised some money for charity, and we got to just be sort of thrown into their world for three or four days. And how important was location for you specifically in the making of this film? For me, the, the with VAR, the climbing up Snowdonia was just the the sort of the smallest part of the story you know it was just a visual sort of storytelling that the fact that they were just doing it and we got to follow them but the main story for me was their backgrounds and growing up in Wales and being a minority here in Wales and then also for me I'm I'm North Wales based so bringing bringing them back you know that they, they now live in London they can be as flamboyant and as sort of open as they as they choose to be but back in Wales they maybe feel a bit more repressed and so that was always in my mind that bringing them back would maybe feel quite anxiety driven for them so little things like taking them walking them through Cambedis all dressed up was quite doesn't come across it on camera because the reaction to them being there was fantastic but it it would have felt quite nerve-wracking for them I think so yeah the story there's a much much bigger story than them just climbing within the in the film and those high heels, how did they ever pass the health and safety checks? The health and safety aspect of those high heels was uh, they must take walking boots with them and we must show that they're, ha- that they're going to put them on. So I think it was about 15, 20 minutes in where they had to take them off anyway. They just couldn't, they couldn't do it any longer. Um, yeah, health and safety wise, as long as we showed those boots being put on at some point, it was okay. And then weather wise, we had the discussion, what if it rains? We're like... We, you know, we're have to, gonna have to move the day. We won't be able to do it. We won't be able to take them up there. But luckily, it stayed sunny and dry. So yeah. Did they do any training for no. Other than other than getting, <laughs> other than uh, the outfit preps, I don't think there was much training. <laughs> and how much influence does location or space have when developing film? Is it that you have a clear space in mind, or in theory, could it be placed anywhere? I'm always very focused on where the story feels like it should take place. So for Jelly, it was very specifically written with Hlandadno in mind and kind of the area that we filmed in. And that cave was kind of the impetus for the writer telling that story was she'd kind of heard tales of people living in these caves and had done some research into it. And that kind of was the initial spark that then kind of brought life to that story. But I'm always a fan of, especially if you've got kind of 
regional talent it's it's so important kind of from my producing like perspective to invest in the area that the stories are coming from so for me if I had a Welsh writer director I would be very very keen to make sure that locations wise we were kind of putting that investment both in terms of finances for locations and like resourcing with crew and suppliers and kit houses and stuff like that making sure as much of that spend is regional but also making sure that we're investing in kind of those locations being seen kind of I think a lot of short films especially narrative short films are driven by a sense of place so I think location is really really central to that and certainly other films that I've worked on that might not have been Welsh writer directors when we start having location conversations will be like where do we feel like this story makes sense so I've had ones where I've been like actually this really feels like experiences that I had in my life I think it would work really well in the sort of area where I'm based because for me that's where that story feels relevant so I think yeah I think place has a really important part in in storytelling and kind of getting those like feelings and like for lack of a better word vibes across for what the film is trying to achieve I would agree with Rachel I think it's really important that the location's authentic to and my my film's slightly different obviously it's a documentary but the same as if it's a story about a Welsh woman who lives in Wales then Wales should be represented that kind of thing any and the same for any any location really a bit like what I said earlier with them um, walking through Camberis I specifically chose Camberis because it's at the foot of Snowdonia but I could have said it was and shot it anywhere else and they wouldn't have felt the same you know it could have been that could have been Liverpool and they might have felt completely fine walking through Liverpool. But we chose Cambetis because it's a very small sort of old town and we expected to get a bit of a, maybe a negative reaction. Luckily we didn't. <laughs> but that's why we chose it, to get that feeling across, you know. And when making queer films in areas which could pose a risk to those actors and film crew, how do you navigate this as directors? It's, it's always a possibility. With Jelly, we were really, really lucky that everyone just really jumped on board and kind of understood it and loved it I've had other projects where like and you do it because you need to get the project across the line even if you don't agree with it but I've had other projects where they've been like you can film here but we don't want people to say like we don't need to tell people that you filmed here so you end up signing kind of essentially non-disclosure agreements and like I always get a bit annoyed by it but I'm like equally this is the right place for the story so we'll just do it and part up with that kind of bureaucracy but yeah I think especially where you're kind of exploring difficult subject matter a really important thing is just to kind of talk to the people involved and kind of explain to them what's happening and make sure that they're not triggered by a location or if they are that there's support on hand I think it's kind of a really good lesson in kind of looking after cast and crew as well I think Jelly was although the impetus for it is quite kind of a, a like stressed situation I think because it ends so hopeful and like cheerful those weren't conversations that we actually found we were having that much with people whereas of other shorts I've done where they've kind of explored different parts of like sexuality or sexual experience sometimes those are the ones where people come on board because they're so like passionate about the message but those are where you have to be quite careful and be like just to check are you okay is is this subject matter triggering for you is this location triggering for you so yeah I think it's it's thankfully I've not had people heckling me I've had weird questions from people on the street once I was one asking if I was filming a porno while I was <laughs> doing a short film that's the weirdest it's my one that we're, we've just finished and we're kind of just putting on the festival circuit the girl with the haunted vagina yes folks you heard that right I assumed it was because they could hear like 
orgasm type sounds from inside the house but I went out on the street and I was like you can't hear anything so I was like this person has just seen a film crew and gone oh porno but I think that's the weirdest interaction I've had with the public thankfully but yeah I think it's just a case of yeah making sure locations wise all your contracts are kind of ironclad so you know you have the right to be there and kind of the right to take up the space if you need it thankfully I haven't and then yeah just making sure everyone's looked after as best as we can. We know the film industry can be a gruelling one to get into, with many struggling to find their feet in what area of production they wish to pursue. Any advice from our filmmakers? I think certainly in terms of getting into film, there's a real focus now for Welsh stories coming from Welsh or Wales-based people. I think film career have done quite a lot of work recently, especially in making sure that we expand outside of Cardiff, which has been a hub of filming for quite a bit longer, and make sure we kind of go into areas like North Wales, so they're very intentional about making sure there's kind of a great distribution of stories kind of being told from different parts of Wales, which I think is really great. And certainly I kind of only started trying to move into film in kind of 2019-ish. So still within kind of the last few years and like over those years, I've seen kind of more and more schemes that are more accessible for people who have transferable skills from other areas rather than necessarily having a screen background already so you could have worked in theatre or I've seen some schemes recently where they're like if you've done podcasting or things like that they're still open to people kind of coming over to screen and learning so I think entry level it definitely feels more accessible now I think the part that I still find quite mystifying as someone who's kind of you know got a couple of shorts my third's in development due to start shooting next year I'm still a bit unsure about how you then eventually like move out of that space I think especially as a producer there's not loads but a few more schemes kind of aimed at writers directors and people like that when it comes to kind of narrative fiction that are specifically designed to kind of help people do that springboard into into their first feature but there aren't a great many schemes that kind of do that for producers as much as they do for writers and directors so I think that's still an area where it's a little bit harder to know how to progress about having contacts already at least from my experience. I would agree. I think it it has gotten a lot better in the last five to eight years. I think the industry anyway is maybe a little bit clicky, so it's more about who you know, not what you know. But just getting your foot in the door anywhere and try and make authentic relationships, not sort of forced and not networking, has always helped me better than sort of going to festival and trying to make connections as opposed to working with people and finding sort of common ground and then you, you... you just keep each other in mind so I've got like three or four camera friends that if they can't do it they pass it on and things like that so just making genuine connections is always better but obviously you've got to get your your first job (laughs) for me I went to uni to do filmmaking so I had a few crew members after that a few friends through university and then yeah, I guess you do just kind of meet people. Like I was I was talking earlier about Nia Dryhurst, who exec produced Queen's Comrag, and we'd worked on a previous TV show together, but formed a friendship, and that's how Queen's Comrag had come about for us together, was more the friendship than a sort of working relationship. Yeah. Yeah, I always say that you kind of end up with like a little work family. I always joke about collecting very talented people but that is kind of what it feels like when you work in the film industry especially because when you're in that early stage of your career everything is so pressurized you're not getting paid anywhere near the amount of time that you're putting in so I think it does really help if you're working with people that you have a really good relationship with and that you kind of build friendships with because it makes that time a bit more lovely but I think in terms of finding crew 
I'll often go to my HODs. So I'll say to my DOP, do you know a first AC or second AC in the area that we're looking to film that you've worked with before that you would recommend? I'll kind of, because obviously having worked with someone on a project is the best reference to know that they're going to be able to kind of slot into the team and do what you need. But there's also a lot of kind of filmmaker networks that are appearing. So there's quite a big queer filmmakers group that I'm in on WhatsApp where people always put kind of job opportunities where they're looking for them there's quite a few like Facebook groups and things like that that will be regional so there'll be like a Midlands filmmaker one and North Wales filmmaker one and stuff like that so definitely yeah if if people are looking for crew have a look at kind of what local networks are available or certainly if it's a queer film have a look at what queer filmmaker networks are available. And where does the creative input lie for a producer versus a filmmaker? Is it equal or does one have more say over the other? I always say I'm a very collaborative producer. I like to have creative involvement in the projects that I take on. I've been very lucky so far that the writers and directors that I've worked with have been totally on board with that. So yeah, in terms of kind of how that works, it really depends in what shape a project is in when it first comes to me. So Jelly was pretty fully formed at the point that I came on board in terms of script. I don't think it had much in the way of script revisions and stuff after that. So then it was just a case of, making it financially viable and kind of the all of the logistics that then follow that point but also in tandem with really fun conversations like anyone who's seen the film will know that there are goats in the film and originally uh the writer had wanted sheep and we knew that we couldn't we couldn't get sheep because we weren't allowed to bring sheep into the orn because it's a national park and the sheep could bring diseases and blah 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 so you get lots of kind of fun creative conversations along the way where you're basically brainstorming how to make the story happen but in a way that is logistically either allowed or financially viable and stuff like that so in the end we really lucked out with fates on the day with the goats but we've come up with a a backup plan for how to kind of sell that story point that the cave appeared magical if not let there by a sheep although we didn't need it because it rained and the one silver lining of that rain was all the goats went and hid in the cave which is how we managed to get that shot so although it made the sofa carrying a bit more difficult we were very lucky with it made that shot possible but then I've had other projects where I've just worked on a short film called The Girl with the Haunted Vagina. It's my favourite film title ever to say. And that was a kind of much more of a rough draft that the writer wasn't planning on submitting for funding at the point that I heard about it. But I love the concept, love the idea. So that was a much more intensive process right at the start where um, we kind of got a script editor on board, but I was still in the room for kind of those meetings and conversations. It was a real passion project because as soon as I heard the subject matter, I was like, this is a fab story. We need to make sure it gets told. And yeah, the writer was very amenable to kind of me being around and able to pitch stuff or able to say, actually, no, we can't lose that bit because it's really central to kind of how I viewed the story and and how I hoped it was going to pan out. I genuinely believe every crew member is a part of it and brings something to it as well. So, and I think I which is I think is getting me in trouble but I quite like to work without a sort of safety net I like to see what's going to unfold especially if it's documentary and not to plan too much but that's getting me in a bit of trouble when it comes to paperwork and stuff recently but I also do tend to just because they like a lot of planning they like to know exactly what's going to happen and I'm like this is reality how do we plan for for that you know why can't we just let it sort of unfold and as being in the room is going to change things you know so yeah I think I creatively quite like to just see how things unfold but then I've always got the idea of what the edit's going to be like I always start with how like we went to see one of the Queen's Comrade shows before we started filming and Rhys the one of the drag queens opens his show with Callan Lan and as soon as I saw him sing that I was like that's how we start the film 
That wasn't filmed at that point, but when they were doing the show for the film, I said, would you please sing Callan Line again? Because that's how I'm going to open the, the film. You know, it's going to be your voice under the mountains. People are going to be shocked when they see it's you, you know. <laughs> uh, so I'd already structurally knew what the edit was going to look like. So I always tend to start with that. So I know from A to B to C. So we've got a beginning, middle, end, where we are, and then anything in between. Um, if things unfold, then that's great. And with so many stories being told and content churned out, are we seeing our queer stories more and more? I definitely don't think there's enough. <laughs> I wish there was more. I wish I was part of it more as well. Like, not all the films I've made are LGBTQ, and I wish that they, I was making more to sort of be a part of it and share my stories as well. So, yeah, there could definitely be more. I think it's opening up a lot more than it was. I don't think it's as hard now. I think that maybe they're looking for more sort of inclusive stories so I don't know if it, maybe it was harder a couple of years ago but I think or I hope now that we're opening up to it a bit more yeah I would agree uh, there's never enough we've got a lot of years of no queer stories to counteract so there's definitely always room for more I'm working on a queer period horror at the moment supported by Film Cymru and it's a first time filmmaker they're established in playwriting and they're also written kind of novel fiction novels in the Welsh language but this is a really great Welsh language queer horror piece that I'm super excited about and that's been supported by Film Cymru obviously Jelly was a queer story and that was supported by Film Cymru as well and yeah I've got a few more bits in development something that I'm quite focused on at the moment is having kind of absorbed a lot of queer cinema over the last few years i really want to see more bisexual stories specifically that's very personal to me because i myself am bisexual so i've also got a bisexual short film in development at the moment that's very loosely based on my childhood that again is a welsh writer and would take place in wales once we manage to get some money for it in place which is what we're working on at the moment but yeah i think definitely there does seem to be from funders a call for more kind of lgbtqa plus stories and kind of i think the real focus is especially on those being told by people that those stories are kind of authentic to, which I think is a really big part of that puzzle as well. So yeah, I think I'm hoping to see more coming soon. The old age argument of should queer actors play queer roles? Well, does this translate to the director as well? Should only queer directors tell our stories? Yeah, I think probably it's more queer filmmakers and things that are making stories that obviously mean a lot to them and they exactly like what Rachel just said then you want more representation you want to tell stories that we know well anyway for me personally I don't think it's a problem if a straight director wants to make a gay film it might come might be a completely different point of view that they have I know a few I've got a few filmmaker friends who wanted to make like a an LGBTQ series and then pulled out of it because they, they weren't gay and I was like well I'm in it and I'm being a part of it with you and I'm gay so what does it matter but they 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 made them too nervous to not carry through with it because they didn't want any backlash because they weren't gay so that's hard then because then the story's not getting told and it was a great story and uh, yes I think for me it's not a problem that if a straight man or woman wants to make a gay film 
doesn't bother me, you know, as long as it's treated well. Or maybe they have queer crew, more queer, queer crew, then, then there's more of a sensitivity towards it, perhaps. I think the main thing is, why do you want to tell an LGBTQ story? Is it because you think you're going to get more money because it's a tick boxing exercise and you can spot those films from a mile off where you're like, oh, this isn't sitting right. And then you're like, oh, you just were like, I feel like this might get funded. I don't, I don't think that's the right motivation at all. But I think if someone, you know, has an opinion to bring to the table, handles it with sensitivity, I think it's especially important that you collaborate with kind of other people who are LGBTQIA plus on the project. I think that's really important. I think as long as it's done kind of authentically and for a reason I don't think there's any reason that a straight director couldn't tell a queer story but certainly from my experience like most of the time I see a film it's queer I love it I I look up who's written or directed it like 99% of the time it is it is an LGBTQIA plus person behind the camera and with such criticism is it nerve-wracking putting your work out into the world for all to see yeah I've made a short film that obviously I directed and it was about two women who were who'd fallen in love and it was probably my coming out story so I delayed it was finished in something like March and I think I got so nervous to put it out I didn't put it out until like October or something because of my anxieties of friends and family knew I was out but nobody else and I was putting that out into the world as a big gay flag you know like hello (laughs) so for me that made me anxious so to put something out that was an indie but then when it came to Queen's Comrag there's not much I can hide that there's a group of drag queens <laughs> climbing up Snowdonia. You know, we know that that's a very queer story. I think for me it was similar. I came out quite late in my life. So I think when I first started making films, I fell into queer films because I loved them, but it wasn't necessarily what I was trying to originally make. Because I wasn't sure if I was brave enough to kind of, yeah, make that statement to the world with my big with my big queer flag and be like, I'm here. Yeah, so that that was kind of probably the only hesitation I've had. And certainly it's kind of yeah it's taken me a while to get to the point where I will send out publicly my bio that says a queer producer not because I'm I'm not very out in my work but I think like I feel safe in the film bubble and then when I know it's going in the wider world it can sometimes feel a little bit scarier so that's something that over the last couple of years I've been like as my films have been thankfully kind of getting a bit more attention I've yeah that's something that I've been working on behind the scenes Um, but yeah certainly in terms of subject matter I think the stories need to be told and if we get backlash we get backlash and like thankfully as I said I haven't really had that difficult an experience yet or that difficult a reception to my film but I think it just is important that we are telling authentic stories and just you know showing reality and I think that's where some of the most beautiful and moving pieces of film come from so yeah we just have to put it out there and and hope for the best. And have there ever been any oh no moments? Earlier when we watched Queen's Comraga and when at the end of the show when I was trying to get them to be serious and talk about how much money they'd raised for Transaid Cymru it was a moment when I remember in the moment thinking how do I how do I do this because they're all at that point it was 1am they'd had drinks they'd celebrated you know it was a mess <laughs> we climbed a mountain as pebbles we reached the top as a boulder We did this, we did that walk, because we know as a bunch of lads in fucking dresses can skip about, make some money. But we do know on the anniversary of one of us past, it is not as easy as that for our trans brothers and sisters.
I was born as this, and it is my own journey to discover what that ending is. It is your job to be a witness. That is all I ask of you. And I'm trying to get them all to just, you know, even stand together. And if, if you get a chance to watch it, even Tom's trying to say how much money they've raised and Lasagna's trying to put lipstick on him, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, yeah, even that was quite difficult just to orchestrate. So that there's a few moments where I'm like, in there, how do I pull this off? How do I get them to just be serious for three minutes, you know, and get what I need out of them? This is why I was saying earlier, since I think I get in trouble sometimes because I don't like to orchestrate reality let it unfold so if they're drunk and they're trying to put lipstick on one another then I'm not going to stop them you know so yeah it's hard I find it harder to orchestrate people because then it become feels like it's acting and then to me that's not authentic and then I've lost interest at that point I want them to be real and so yeah it can be a bit harder to try and get real people to just say what you need them to say (laughs) Yeah, for me, I think probably the Ormond London Day was the the biggest logistical challenge in terms of locations. We'd kind of got all the permission and stuff. We'd passed all of the like natural resources, Wales stuff we had to pass in terms of the cave having protected status and needing permission to film in there. We kind of got all the logistics out the way. And then we get to a few weeks before the shoot and I'm like, what are we going to do for unit base? Like it's just on the side of a hill. How does this work? So in the end, we we literally ended up like... And I was, it was still quite COVID-y at the point that we were filming in that spring. So like I being based in the Midlands at the moment, couldn't go up to North Wales till quite close to the project. So it was about four or five days before we were due to be shooting that I was kind of going along. There's a residential street right at the top of the Orm near the kind of like hillside path. You see them carry the sofa across. Um, So about four or five days before shooting, I'm like, Hail Mary, just knocking on people's doors, kind of trying to be like, hi, I'm making a film. Like, have you got anywhere with just like a spare loo and some power for like charging camera batteries that we can like borrow? And in the end, the gorgeous people of kind of know um, someone had given us their garage because they kind of had like a separate garage that had like a loo and power and like a little kitchen and stuff in it. But then bless her, this lady kind of started calling around people on the street that she knew that had holiday lettings there. So literally about two days before the shoot, she rang me and she was like, I've got your house because she knew someone a couple of doors down who had a holiday home and no one was in it for the days we were shooting and they just gave us this house for free so it worked out fine in the end but I remember being on calls with kind of the DOP and the first AD as they were going and where are we going to charge the camera and where's hair and makeup going to be and where's all this going to be and I was like I'm working on it (laughs) and it worked out fine in the end but yeah that was probably the most stressful bit and then even when it got to the shoot the road that you have to drive up to get to the top of to the top of the Orm is so steep and I remember being in like the rental van with all the camera kit and stuff. And I like, I can drive a van, but I'm not so confident. Like, I don't like driving up that in a car, let alone in a van that you don't entirely know the gearbox for and stuff like that. So that was a bit of a, yeah, I was very glad when I got to the top and then I knew I only had to go back downhill, which is much easier. Oh, the glamour. Thank you for listening to the Iris Prize podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share and leave a review to help others to find us. We would also love to hear from you and your favourite queer film. So please, please get in touch. The Iris Prize LGBTQ Plus Film Festival is a six-day celebration of LGBTQ Plus film, which takes place annually in Cardiff, Wales. And tickets are available now to purchase on the Iris Prize website. This podcast has been hosted by myself and produced by Harrison Williams. Music